which, which is which, which, which is which, we're talking about X-Men. Hi! Welcome to Which, Which is Which, a pop culture podcast about ladies who use magic. I am Derek. And I'm Regina. And today is our annual X-Men Xmas special. Woo! X-Men! We didn't talk about them at all last episode, even though there were plenty of opportunities. So now let's really dig in and do a whole episode talking about our favorite merry band of music. Let's do it. Go ahead, Derek. Tell me which X-Lady are you going to talk about today? I want to talk to you about Monet St. Croix, the X-Men best known as M. So Monet St. Croix was born to the ambassador of Monaco and raised alongside her older brother Marius and her younger twin sisters Claudette and Nicole, all of whom developed mutant powers and an incredibly complicated relationship. The simple story is that Monet was kidnapped by aliens who wanted to eliminate the mutant threat, but that she wound up leading a rebellion against them, forming a whole new team of teenage X-Men in training in the process. The complicated story is that none of that happened because it wasn't really Monet, but her sisters posing as her because the real Monet was trapped in another dimension by her abusive brother because comics. Either way, Monet eventually came back and was a member of Generation X, X-Core, X-Factor Investigations, and eventually a full-fledged X-Man, all using the codename M. Just the letter M. That's all she needs. The letter M has a good point. Wow, because comics. It is a very complicated story. M is one of my favorite X-Men characters, largely because of how ridiculous her backstory is, and how well they've incorporated the sort of trauma one experiences with that much of a messed up family backstory into who she is and how she operates. Yeah, I mean, and I feel like that's such a hallmark of X-Men in general. It's just you've got a lot of complicated trauma, family history and background and trauma and a storyline that goes in 12 different directions except when it doesn't. I'm excited to hear more about Mornay St. Croix because I only know about her through reading X Factor and a little bit when she had some overlap with um, my ex-lady I'm going to talk about in a little bit so I'm excited to learn more about her. I, I in advance, because we talk about these things before we record them, know who your ex-lady is and yes, the two of them had some very interesting uh, dynamics for both of them, for both characters. Yeah, let's dig in. The first rule of witchiness is that the witch identify as female. Does Monet identify as female? Monet is a lady, and what a lady. Coming from a very proper upscale background, Monet has a pronounced ideal of what perfection is, both as a person and as a woman, and she prides herself on constantly living up to her ambitions of perfection. Even by the typically unrealistic beauty standards of comic book superheroes, Monet has a perfect supermodel physique. The other teenage girls in her class, like Jubilee and Husk, resent M both for her stuck-up personality and for the seeming ease with which she maintains her perfect physique while they still struggle with acne and baby fat. Yeah, that's tough. Don't hate her because she's beautiful. It's hard to be. It's It's gotta be hard for her to, to be the prettiest girl in the room. You know, I, I hear stories about that. I personally uh, can't relate, but I have heard those stories. Still struggling with the fact that I'm a grown-ass woman, and I still- Who is constantly the most beautiful in the room. No, I still don't know how- to, Like, when does the acne stop? Like, I'm, like I've am like i heard it's supposed to stop, but I think- Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm in, like, fourth puberty now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where to go. So, we'll head, we'll head to the second rule. <laughs> when in doubt, change the topic. The second rule of witchiness is that the witch in question practice magic. Let's hear about Monet's 
magic. Yeah, so Monet is a powerhouse, which makes her both invaluable to the number of teams she's been on and kind of an egotistical pain in the butt. She has super strength, invulnerability, telepathy, and the ability to fly. Her different skills have been useful on different teams, like when Jimmy Madrox invited her to join his X-Factor private investigation firm, he was mostly interested in her telepathy to help with screening clients. When she joined Storm's all-female team of X-Men, it was her strength they were more interested in having already a number of telepaths and flyers on board, but nobody who could punch down a skyscraper with her bare hands. Which um, which team was that? The all-lady team? It was just called X-Men. It was just X-Men, but it was Storm's Which was the beautiful all, thing. All it, was, it was an all-female team, but the book was just called X-Men, which I loved. It was the arc that was, um, it was written by Brian Wood. I think most of the art was done by Terry Dodson, mm. and so the team, it was initially sort of like Jubilee's team, where she, it, it's when Jubilee's a vampire and she's raising a baby that she found abandoned. Oh, right. And so the team is her, Storm, Rachel Summers, Psylocke, Kitty Pride. In the, in the second or third arc, Monet joins the team along with the Prime Sentinel. Sometimes, like, a Beast helps them out, but he's not really a part of like this on team. On the team, yeah. I think I'm thinking of um, one of the other ex-ladies that we covered had an all-female team of mutants. But she was kind of more on the brotherhood side. What am I, I thinking of? I think you're thinking of, of uh, when Maddie Pryor had the Sisterhood of Evil Mutants. The Sisterhood of Evil Mutants. That's what I'm thinking yeah. of. Different all-lady team. Different, but definitely connected. Which, I mean, just goes to show that X-Men has a lot of awesome all-lady teams. It's one of the like most gender-inclusive superhero franchises, for sure. Yeah, Monet seems like she has a, a lot of a lot of powers, and she just grew up. She's kind of like when you're a kid and you're like, I want to be a superhero, she is what you think of. Got it. Because she's strong, she's fast, she can fly, she can read people's minds. Bullets bounce off of her. I bet she looked great in a latex catsuit. Oh, definitely. Yeah. All of this um, just comes so easily to her, which is why it's good that she has some trauma to make her less perfect. <laughs> to turn as much as it's good for out. anyone to have trauma. Oh, man. Let alone a fictional that character. That is problematic. Um, let's move on to the third law of witchiness, which couldn't possibly be problematic. No. Uh, is Monet a feminist? For the most part, Monet isn't much concerned with other people, more focused on proving her own superiority over everyone. But there's one particular moment of feminist behavior that I really love. So when they were starting up their private investigation firm, the members of X-Factor all lived in a rundown brownstone in Lower Manhattan. And Jimmy Madrox, the multiple man, got a bit too drunk and let out a duplicate of himself who was basically his libido personified. One Madrox slept with his ex-girlfriend Teresa Cassidy, the hero known as Siren, while the other Madrox slept with Monet. When Teresa and Monet found out that they were essentially being cheated on, rather than get mad at each other, they went on a shopping spree in Paris, beat up some racists, and bonded over their shared disgust with Jamie, as well as their respective relationships with Teresa's father, Sean Cassidy, who had been Monet's teacher and mentor at Generation X alongside co-instructor Emma Frost. That gives me such warm feelings inside. That's delightful. As much as there's a temptation there to be like, I'm angry at you for sleeping with my man. Uh -huh. The two of them are both like, you know what? We're both the wronged parties here. I've got no quarrel with you. This horrible thing that we both experienced. That's Let's just wonderful. go bond over it. Ladies supporting ex-ladies. It's really cute. There's a moment like at the beginning of that exchange where 
they're both just kind of pouting in the kitchen and Monet is like okay well I mean do you want to go shopping and Teresa's like do you really think just like spending some money is going to make you feel better she's like well I thought we would do it in Paris I would I would charter a private jet and Teresa's like cool I'll have my bags packed in five minutes who wouldn't jeez so it seems like Monet even though she is super perfection minded and has all of these powerful skills and and everything she seems like she's pretty amicable and easy to get along with would you say sometimes um she's definitely gotten better over time especially since high school in high school she was sort of intolerable but who isn't over time she got better at empathizing with other people and sort of knowing that there are perspectives beyond her own well that's good that was one of the things that i enjoyed the most about generation x the the comic was it really did feel like a well-rounded take on teenagers with superpowers right really felt like a bunch of just dysfunctional high schoolers and monet being that stuck-up perfectionist felt True. Yeah, absolutely. So the fourth law of witchiness is that the witch in question is persecuted or misunderstood. How is Monet persecuted or misunderstood? So aside from the general persecuted because she's a mutant angle, the biggest factor here is her complicated relationship with her siblings. Monet's older brother Marius is something of a mutant vampire, draining the life essence from others so that he can live. When the cocky and self-absorbed Monet laughed at her brother's offer to join him and take over the world, he transformed her into the mute and diamond-skinned form commonly referred to as penance a body she was trapped in and unable to communicate from for years. Claudette and Nicole knew how upset their father would be if his favorite daughter were missing, so they used their generally undefined powers to merge together and take Monet's place, acting as much like her as they could. And that's the version of Monet that co-founded Generation X and took the codename M. Claudette suffered from a severe case of 90s comic book autism, so this version of M would often space out and not move, speak, or react to her surroundings, leading other members of the team, including Sean and Emma, to believe that Monet was a high-functioning autistic. Hmm. Uh, years later, when all of the Sinqua kids were back in their own bodies and living somewhat normal lives again, Monet would admit in the therapy that she was still haunted by the years of torture she experienced at the hands of her brother, by her inability to communicate with or even touch the other kids she considered to be friends, and often had suicidal thoughts as a result. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a really heavy relationship to have. It, it it adds a lot to who she is, and it helps to define her character. Yeah. The fact that she's not just this powerhouse, but that she has a lot going on under the surface that makes her a less admirable person. Mm-hmm. The fact that she still wakes up every day and keeps living is fantastic, of course, um, as much as that can be for a fictional character. But still, the way it's addressed is certainly shocking, but not unbelievable. Yeah. So I, I appreciated that a lot. Totally. And it probably sucks for her, too, that she didn't actually co-found Generation X, you know? She also didn't choose the name M. She's been stuck with it all this time, and it was Does she ever address that? The, like, I, I oh, I'm so. stuck with this. I don't think she does. Okay. It's just, it, it occurred to me, like, M is such a, like, specific name, and it's what she's been identified as for her whole superhero career. Yeah. And it was something that her younger twin sisters 
police came up with when she was missing. They're like, oh, call me M now. And that was during the time that she was a, a diamond? That was during the time that she was a mute diamond girl. Wow, that's tough. Is is Marius ever in the picture as a, like a brotherhood kind of mutant? He's been in and out of the comics a lot. Like, he's been back recently. He's the villain known as M-Plate. Okay. If you ever see M-Plate, that is Monet's older brother, Marius. Yeah. He generally looks like a black-skinned... And when I say black, I mean, like, indigo Mm -hmm. in the comics. Like, bluish-black skin with, like, long dreadlocks. He usually has these, like, talon-type fingers. And in the middle of his hand is a mouth with fangs. And that's how he sucks the life out of people, kind of. That's kind of badass. usually show him with, like, a big old respirator in a leather jacket. He's very creepy. He's a very creepy monster. And uh, he may or may not have turned Monet into a similar vampire type creature in a recent storyline. Who can say for sure? It's comics. (laughs) The last law of witchiness is that the witch be bonded to a sentience larger than herself. What about Monet? Yeah, so the the whole Sinqua clan has formed a convoluted mess of personalities and powers. So yes, Monet is definitely connected to them in some very tangible ways, making the X-Man M so much more than just Monet. Yeah, it seems like it is very, very complicated. Definitely. And kind of amazing that she doesn't have a severe personality disorder based on all of this background. You know, it seems like she should, and I think she has taken the opportunity to really sort of reassert who Monet is. That's admirable. Not to be concerned with, like, what parts of her are Nicole and Claudette and Marius, but to figure out which parts of her truly are Monet. That is something to look up to, I think. I like it. Definitely. Now, we've talked about Monet a little bit. I would love to discuss your witch. So, Regina, tell us about which ex-lady you would like to celebrate this holiday season. Break out your bedazzler, Derek. I'm going to tell you about Emma Frost. Oh, I know her. (laughs) Known by many aliases, such as White Queen, Ice Princess, and others, Emma is a former member of the Hellfire Club and sometimes member of the X-Men. Her powers include telepathy and the ability to turn into a living diamond. Emma's history begins in Uncanny X-Men number 129 and is peppered with a lot of controversy, slut-shaming, and monochromatic outfit choices. Emma is a fascinating character. She's had so many ups and downs from villain to hero and back Mm -hmm. again. More than any other X-Men character, I would think, she's played both sides impressively. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more uh, in a later segment, actually, about the side switching and, and what that means to me. She also has a kind of similar upbringing to Monet, um, which I didn't realize until you started talking about it, um, that she has this kind of like upper crust f- fancy pants background. So um, link up there. Let's talk about the first rule of witchiness. So is Emma female? Yes, Emma identifies as female and has a pretty agreed-upon genesis as a character who implies eroticism. From the way she's drawn to her sexuality, Emma is hyper-female. There's a lot of scholarship about the femaleness of Emma, particularly in regards to the way she dresses and how many paramours she's had. Spoilers, it's actually not that many, but I'll cover a little bit of that in the feminism section. As far as identifying as female, she does, and she's not afraid to use her beauty or her body as if they're their own mutant powers. In some ways, they are. Definitely they are, and she uses them expertly. Mm -hmm. I I would like to point out here that unlike Monet, Emma has appeared in a couple of the X-Men movies, 
We just don't like to talk about them because they were bad. They were bad. And she was in uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine, <sighs> and we don't talk about that movie ever. And she was in uh, X-Men First Class, played by January Jones from Mad Men, which is confusing <sighs> because that movie takes place before X-Men Origins Wolverine, where she's a teenager, but in first class, she's a full-grown woman, and it doesn't matter. Just, just. Well, that matters. doesn't bother me as much because X Men is where continuity goes to die, so it's fine. Yeah. You know, they can are... be in different timelines, and I, that doesn't bother me. It's more. <laughs> it's more that <laughs> it's fine. There are there are larger sins against Emma that were committed. We there are. are. We there are, are not going to go into there. It. Well, let's get into the bigger sins in a minute. Okay. First, I want to hear about the, the magic that she does. So as a mutant, Emma has powers. Can mm -hmm. you tell me a little bit about Emma's magical powers? Yes. Well, her magic, outside of her uncanny ability to suffer and then emerge from trauma, her business acumen, and her sweet thigh-high boots, is that she practices telepathy and can transform into a diamond-like substance. Again, another link up there with trauma and also diamond-like substance. What I find more exciting about Emma than her magic is everything about her that's not magic. Her powers are definitely used to help her gain success in standing in the world to do villainy type things when she's a villain or try to help people any of the countless times she's employed as a teacher. But her real magic is that she's smart, capable, and just as resilient as her diamond form is unbreakable. Which is to say, mostly, unless you hit just the right spot. Her telepathy also allows her to do things like switch bodies or impersonate people, notably impersonating Jean Grey for a while, duping the ever-disappointing Scott Summers. Probably the biggest flaw in our bright diamond Emma is that she truly loved Scott. Yeah, but in fairness, the, the one time I always think of when she impersonated Jean Grey, Scott knew. Like, that was a game that they were playing. Yeah. That was some kinky role play. It was. They, they knew what they were doing. Yeah, there was some there was some astral astral plane boning. There's a fun angle to be drawn there to the, the traumatic experience and diamond-like skin. Mm -hmm. So Monet gets her diamond skin when she's kidnapped by her brother and torn away from her family and put into another dimension she's not familiar with. And Emma... The, the diamond skin is a what they called secondary mutation. Correct. That happened in a 2001 storyline where Emma was teaching at a school and the school was involved in a terrorist attack that killed the overwhelming population of the country she was in. And she was one of the few survivors and she watched all of her students slaughtered in front of her. And so she put up this diamond skin she didn't realize she had to protect her and sort of make her steeled to the world, if you will, in order to survive. So there's definitely a very direct direct metaphor to be made there of making it through a surprising traumatic experience and making your skin like a diamond. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up because that is such an interesting connection to make. And I think from a witch perspective, it can be kind of an interesting visualization or talisman for when you're dealing with something that's like really sucks and there's no way out but through that like ability to call upon powers of, of an Emma Frost type character and think about that, that, diamond skin resistance to all of this stuff is it's pretty awesome definitely so the third rule of witchiness can you tell me about how emma frost is a feminist as i mentioned earlier there's a lot of scholarship on this and i'm going to go with yes feminist despite being a character created 
pretty much for the male gaze. As happens in comics, a character who may have started as an excuse to draw a very small outfit developed into a really complex, truly interesting character with power and agency. She wears revealing clothing because she likes it and because she knows how to use it to her advantage. The Hellfire Club requires women to wear sexy underpants in order to be present in meetings. Emma sees that trap of sexism and uses it against anyone who would try to use it against her. Her looks and outfit are as much a weapon as her telepathy. Badass! She's also a teacher and is devoted to her students and helping budding telepaths especially. What I like about Emma is that she's such a realist. She knows she's operating in a patriarchy and works from the inside to gain power and standing by using the very weapons of sexual oppression against those who would oppress her. And that reminded me of a connection to a previous witch that we had discussed, Madeline Pryor, the Goblin Queen. Goblin Queen! One of the many times that Maddie came back from the dead, the reveal was that she was posing as Emma by wearing very similar lingerie <laughs> into a battlefield yes. and tricked Cyclops into like coming aside for some like mid-battle nookie <laughs> and then revealed like haha I'm your ex-wife the whole time and he was like oh god how did I do this because Scott Summers is always disappointing that and also he's got like a, a low-key corset thing apparently high-key I think yeah high-key corset thing well I mean he never explored that with his previous wife Jean it's just with uh, with Maddie I mean that we know of that's on the page that we know of you make an excellent argument I shouldn't be assuming what happens off panel off panel it was just corsets and thigh high boots all the time off panel they get freaky deaky speaking of the freakiest of deakies (laughs) Let's discuss persecution and misunderstanding, because clearly I am misunderstanding a lot about that relationship. Can you tell me a little bit about how Emma is persecuted and or misunderstood? She definitely is. She starts her journey in the X-Universe as a villain and remains solidly on her own team through the course of her narrative journey. So this is going back to what I I mentioned earlier about the flopping sides. Despite joining the Hellfire Club, joining the X-Men, having a fling with Iron Man, it's true. Emma's allegiance is solidly to herself. That means everyone from the heroes, are they heroes? To the villains, are they villains? find themselves at some point on the opposite side of Emma. And man, do I love that so much. Hashtag goals. Yeah, Emma really weaponizes her sexuality in a way that is not seen much in other X-Men characters. I mean, in addition to whatever her tryst with Iron Man might be, she also repeatedly, Namor the Submariner, is all about her and wants to get with that. Mm Mm-hmm. And typically, he will, like, drop everything in the world. He will crush his kingdom to get with the Invisible Woman from the Fantastic Four. Because to him, she is the most perfect creature in the universe. But he forgets all about her once Emma's in the picture. That's right. And at the same time, Emma's down with Scott at that time. So Mm -hmm. things be cray. Things be cray. You know, now that you bring that up, all of her relationships... Emma is often criticized for being, you know, a slut in the bad sense of the word. But she really only has, I think, four paramours in in the course of her story arc. And the rest of the time, it's just that she looks like a slut. You know, she she's wearing underpants yeah. as outer pants. She gets other people to flirt with her. We don't know that she does anything with them. Yeah, it's pretty we clear that, she, that I she think doesn't. she doesn't. And like, that's what's kind of 
interesting about her is that there there is this conception, I think, from people who might just be scratching the surface of her story to be like, oh, well, she's this very, you know, promiscuous, loose woman, lady of the evening. But but really, she's not, you know, she she just uses that mystique to her advantage and occasionally bones Scott Summers and, and Namor. Yeah, well, we actually, we don't know if she does hook up with Namor. I don't, I, at least I don't. I think she does. I think she does. Comics. It was a complicated time when Matt Fraction was writing. Jeez. Comics. Anything could happen. It's a lot of things. Um, so let's move on to the fifth and final rule of witchiness. Can you tell me, is Emma bonded to a sentience larger than herself? Gonna bring it back to Satan with wild speculation. My favorite holiday activity. Woo! Emma believes in Emma and is bonded to Emma. Therefore, well, no, she's likely not bonded to a sentience, though, I don't know, astral plane boning Scott and then getting mind punched by the Phoenix Force counts. She is totally out for number one and probably a satanic witch like some of my favorite witches out there. I mean, I would support the argument that so when the Phoenix Force was split up into five entities and it took over five different X-Men, one of them was Emma. Mm-hmm. So Emma was, for a point in time, bonded with the Phoenix. And yeah. that is definitely a sentience larger than herself but more to the point satan yeah more to the point satan Satan. could it be all right, so uh, yeah, we we've talked about Monet, we've talked about Emma, we've talked a little bit about how Emma was Monet's instructor at the the Massachusetts Academy in Generation X. Yeah, she was very devoted to her profession as a teacher. So let's discuss our covens. If you could have either Emma or Monet in your coven, which one would it be, and why? Well, I'm gonna have to go with Emma just because I have more knowledge and and history with Emma and. I feel like she has so much she can teach me, you know, and she, she was a, you know, she was a teacher. As I just mentioned, she was really devoted to her profession as a teacher. So I feel like she would have, be a great mentor to the other coven members and all of that. I mean, Monet sounds really cool and interesting and like to get to know her better but i'm gonna have to stick with emma what about what about you well here's the problem they're both self-absorbed b-words yes i'm and they're both impressively powered and and fantastic and they they come through in a pinch and they're very heroic i would choose emma only because while both of them will manipulate you to their ends emma is the one who at least feels like she's doing it for the greater good that whatever she is manipulating you to do will eventually help everyone whereas monet's focus tends to be i'm going to manipulate you and it will help me she's not as concerned with how things end up for everybody else and is monet younger than emma oh definitely so i think that might be part of it too i feel like Monet could be a future Emma if she, you know, got some more experience and wisdom under her belt and could, like, be a little bit more big picture thinker because that's the thing with Emma is she is a big picture thinker. You know, she developed her business empire with very little use of her powers. You know what I mean? Like at current continuity, I'm I'm sure that the two of them are at least of legal drinking age. Right. What we need is a common ground where they can get together with like-minded individuals with their own sordid backstories to share over a drink and maybe some some sweets. Maybe taking a show. Um, is there is there a place for that? I think they should head on down 
to the Cauldron Cabaret. Oh, right. We have a place for that. <laughs> I always forget we have exactly a place we for that. We have a place okay, for that. So and their friends are there. Well, Their friends are there. Because this of. is the third annual X-Men X-Men special. We have at least two other pairs of X-Ladies here. Uh, probably more X-Ladies. Let's start with Emma. Who would Emma hang out with? Because she's not inherently going to go for the most heroic people. She's not inherently going to go for the most villainous people because of how she operates. She's all about herself. She's mm-hmm. all about high society. So, so I'm going <clears> to <throat> I'm gonna table her interactions with the other X-Men who are currently already hanging out at the bar. Oh, yeah. And I think... I think that she would spot uh, Lady Jessica Mm -hmm. and probably Phaedra Nodalone, maybe even Marie Laveau, and she would see them and, uh, and, ooh, uh, uh, Leia Organa. Yeah, I was going to say Leia would be a good name. Yeah, she she would would pick them all out. She would see them immediately and know, okay, these are the the powerhouse ladies. These are the rulers of the empire, and I'm going to get in with them, whether that means scoping them out as potential adversaries or figuring out what kind of alliances she needs to strike i think i think she's gonna do some crafty thinking pretty quick but then i think she would probably really get along with phaedra because phaedra is basically a sacred sex worker and uses her sexuality and her sexual gifts for basically saving a kingdom right so i think they would have some interesting things to talk about with how sex work and the perception of sexually active women can be viewed in society and stuff like that and i think they would enjoy a drink together the other one i would throw out as a as a good compatriot for Emma would be uh, Emily Astor from Phonogram. Mm. I feel like both of them have similar enough backgrounds in terms of deliberately distancing yourself from your origins mm-hmm. and coming up with an idea of who you want to be and letting nobody stand in your way. Yes. And being so confident in this sort of retro aesthetic that you've chosen that you are undeniably powerful. Yes. So I feel like the two of them would definitely have a lot in common there. The problem being that part of that is not talking about it. Right. Part of that power is not talking about the origin of your power. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure they'd find other things to talk about. You know what I just thought was that the minute that Emma walks in, I feel like Kim and Kim are going to be like, who's that girl? Yeah. But the problem there is that while Emma would appreciate their admiration, that instantly disqualifies them from people that she will talk to. Right. No, definitely. Whereas with Emily, the two of them can happily sip drinks and and rag on everybody. (laughs) Just instantly talk about how trashy everybody else looks. Maybe, yeah. I feel like that would be a fun thing for the two of them. Sure. What about Em? What's what's she up to? So that's tricky because I know like, so Em has been on a team with Storm. So there's the easy one there. But we're going to try to avoid X-Men relationships because they're they're a little too easy. I feel like she, you know what? I feel like she would get along interestingly with Lilu from the Fifth Element. Supreme being. Very much supreme being, much more powerful than everybody around them, but not given quite the credit for it. Definitely had a hard time communicating at a certain point in their lives. Mm-hmm. Perfect bodies. Perfect bodies. Multi-pass all the way. Multi-pass, trapped inside an, an object for a while. And while we're at it, if we're going to go that way, let's throw in Garnet as well. Sapphire and Ruby. Oh, yeah. There, yeah. There's a certain degree of sort of all-powerfulness 
and traumatic backstory that would empathize them to each other. Totally. So I feel like that. I feel like the three of them, or possibly four of them, are talking about Ruby and Sapphire together. I feel like they would be a very interesting group to sit around and have some soda and chat. What about Alejandra, the Ghost Rider? That might be fun. It's tough because yeah, Alejandra definitely has the tragic backstory. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing: Alejandra's upbringing was very closed off, whereas Monet's was much more free. Mm-hmm. So. I feel like they would have a bit of a hard time relating to each other, but they would certainly try because they would find each other fascinating. I feel like Monet would like observe Alejandra's whole ghost writer-ness and be like, there's gotta be more to you. There's gotta be a story here. Maybe some flesh on top of that flaming skeleton. Could be, could be. (laughs) As a side note, I have a bedspread that has skeletons on them and Violet was talking about skeletons and she thinks they're so cool. And I was like, Violet, did you know that you have a skeleton inside of you? Oh my God. (laughs) And now her new favorite things to just talk about how there's skeletons inside everyone there are there are it's so <laughs> and spooky. there are and it's so spooky when you think about delightful. it we're all just wearing halloween costumes over our skeletons all the time all the time, all the time. anyway i was gonna go with um problematic sibling relationships and talk about thomason oh yeah and i think thomason and monet would have a lot in common because with thomason younger twin siblings mm-hmm. that were um crazy and set her kind of on her path to being a witch because black philip right um she was persecuted by her entire family and then uh, almost murdered by her parents so that's tricky right and then monet younger twin siblings who are connected to her witch powers as in so much that you know they make the m story and everything like i feel like that they would have a lot to unpack together. There's, there's a I feel like support Monet group would there. hear Thomason's story and then say, I know that feel. Let me buy you a fancy French tart that Derek can't pronounce right now. <laughs> Fair. Yes. I feel like that's how that would work out. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, well, that about wraps things up for this episode of Which Witch is Witch. Now that you've heard what we have to say, what do you think? Who would you invite into your coven? Let us know at witchwitchcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at witchwitchcast. That's W-H-I-C-H-W-I-T-C-H-C-A-S-T. Don't anger the older gods. Subscribe to Which Witch is Witch on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever your pods may be cast. Until then, remember... I saw Cyclops kissing Emma Frost Underneath the mistletoe last night